What a statist believes is that you need the state to have law and order. And some of the anti-law libertarians seem to believe the same thing. They believe that you need a state to have law. So they say, no, if you're in favor of law, you must be in favor of the state. Well, the true anarchist, the true libertarian anarchist believes that, um, uh, in fact, law is only possible without the state. The state corrupts law. Okay, welcome back to my show. I'm here with Stefan Kinsella from Houston. He's a lawyer and he's, um, yeah, he's talking about a lot how law would look like in a libertarian society. So how would the law look like in a libertarian society? Okay, well, let's think about what law is. So law is like a set of institutionalized rules in a given community, um, legal rules. Now, what, what are legal rules? Because there's lots of types of laws. I mean, there's physical laws, there's laws of gravity, there, there's uh, economic laws. When we say laws, legal laws, we mean institutionalized rules that are enforceable in some kind of way. And, for, and the word force is in there, right? So typically enforceable means there's some mechanism to use force if you have to, to enforce, to back up some kind of right. So just as a libertarian, we have to think of law as being highly correlated with rights. So every law backs up or is based upon a right. So then the question is, what are our rights? Okay, so basically law would look like a set of rules that are designed to protect our rights. That's what it would look like and what the rules were. Where they come from and who enforces them is a separate matter. But I think, by and large, the legal system would look like roughly the private law we still have now in the common law and then the civil law, which is the Roman law in, mm -hmm. in, in Europe today. So the private law, and that's the subset of law we have now, it's not public law, not administrative law, not constitutional law, but the private law like of contract and property rights, which is still fairly compatible with libertarian principles. So if we were starting from scratch, you would have to have, we're assuming a libertarian society, most people are in rough agreement with the basic principles that libertarians agree with voluntary uh, interactions, peace, respect for each other's things, trying to find reasonable ways to work out uh, disagreements with each other, those kinds of things. So if we started from scratch from those kinds of principles, you would have a really, a really rough system at first, you know, and you would have to refine it over time. Uh, but luckily, we already, it's, that's already been done. The common law and the Roman law have done that for a couple thousand years. So what you have is you have, Randy Barnett has a book, The Structure of Liberty, where he tries to distinguish between uh, abstract legal precepts and more concrete legal rules. Um, and the idea is that we can use our, our more deductive reasoning and our basic principles to come up with the more basic principles, but they're abstract and they're not really concrete guides to action or to what the actual concrete law should be in a given case. That gets developed over time into concrete, concrete rules um, for example, in the Roman law, you would have uh, uh, these things, juris consults, which were legal philosophers. Okay. And they would be given hypotheticals. If A and B had this kind of dispute, what should the fair result be? And they would consult the previous decisions and the current body of law, and they would maybe incrementally make an answer. But it was almost like a, and then in the common law, this happened with real cases. Mm -hmm. This is how this happened. So I think in, in a, in a private law society, this is what would happen too. Um, now, who would enforce it? Where would the rules come from? I think the rules would come from legal philosophers, 
from the common shared values of the community and you would probably have competing um, uh, defense agencies and insurance companies basically okay and these companies would all ad adopt something like treaties between each other or contracts which would and a contract is a type of law yeah. so the principles in there would be fleshed out over time and then when there's, there's a dispute between two people held by some arbitrator which is like a judge um, uh, according to the arbitration clause that the parties that are all parts parties to uh, or customers of it, uh, insurance companies or defense agencies have agreed to do uh, the judge would issue a decision and when the new thing comes up uh, the judge would have to innovate and if the if his if his uh, solution to the problem was seemed fair to people it would be emulated by other judges over time and over time these rules become more and more ingrained as the background custom mm. customary law in society okay so you talked about um, like um, insurance companies defense uh, companies who are competing against each other so um, I think the biggest point which always comes up um, that people say okay in an anarchist society there will be anarchy and everybody will shoot each other yes. so what will happen in an anarchist or a libertarian society when somebody is shot like how would it look like okay yeah so um, well the, the first counterpoint to that argument is that we have a world of several hundred, 200 countries right now, so we don't have a one-world government. People interact with each other across boundaries now with, with their own defense agencies, which are states, and it's still possible to have international business and international dispute resolution. So it's not uh, reasonable to say it's impossible just because you have competing defense agencies. You would have anarchy, but by anarchy, libertarian anarchists mean um, what Hans Hoppe calls a private law society. It's not chaos. It's not without law. A lot of libertarians seem to be against hierarchy, private authority, and even law. They, they almost make the same mistake that statists do. What a statist believes is that you need the state to have law and order. And some of the anti-law libertarians seem to believe the same thing. They believe that you need a state to have law. So they say, no, if you're in favor of law, you must be in favor of the state. Well, the true anarchist, the true libertarian anarchist believes that, um, uh, in fact, law is only possible without the state. The state corrupts law, and that without the state, you can have law, of course. Law is just a, a legally enforceable rule. So you can have law and order um, in this kind of society. So, but uh, coming back to this example, so when somebody was murdered, okay, like, right. how would it look like? Okay. Yeah, well, so first of all, we can imagine that, um, just to take the background into context, in a libertarian society, it'd be freer and more free, more free market and richer and more advanced. Uh, we'd have a lot better defense technology. Everyone would be armed. There would be fewer psychopaths and people that needed to commit crimes. So we would sorry, expect murder to be... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry for interrupting. Like you said, everybody would be armed. Like, wouldn't people decide to don't have a gun because yeah. they feel uncomfortable and they would leave it to the security company? Well, I don't mean that everyone would carry around a weapon necessarily. That's a prediction um, uh, that some people would make and some wouldn't. What I mean is they would have the legal right to carry. And, okay. and the more dangerous the situation or the neighborhood, they would, the, the more you would expect people to be armed. The point is you can count on an armed populace to some extent. Mm. You can think some people are going to be armed. But um, my point is I think crime would be much, much lower. So this, this type of murder would be much rarer. Okay, so first of all, that, and that's a good thing. When it occurred, 
if people were unable to defend. I think that what would happen is um, the murderer would be caught, uh, searched for and caught. By, by whom? Like by the agents uh, hired by the insurance company of the customer who was murdered mm -hmm. or his family. So they would have an incentive to do that, and they would probably have cooperation from the agents of the other security company, uh, insurance companies because they have inter-company inter agreements to support each other because it's, they're all, they all have an interest in lowering crime because their customers want them to do that because they can charge lower prices because their costs are lower. So they would try to bring the guy to justice, which means they would catch the murderer, and they would bring him to trial. Now, if they couldn't find him, they would put an announcement out, we're, held, we're holding a trial in absentia. Mm -hmm. And then the trial would result in a verdict, and let's say it was guilty, then it would, it would say, you know, you owe probably restitution. My, my belief is there were, uh, that actual physical punishment would be very rare mm -hmm. in a truly libertarian society. I do think it's theoretically justified, but it would be very rare for several reasons. Number one, it is way more costly than um, restitution or other things because you're imposing such a great harm on the victim by executing them, let's say, or putting them in prison, um, and the costs of prison are high too, um, and, and you might make a mistake and then you're liable, the, 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 uh, the, the punishment company is going to be liable if they make a mistake. So there's going to be a high cost associated with punishment or retribution. Um, so I think that uh, the standard res response would tend to be restitution. Mm -hmm. The standard of proof could be lower. So, for example, to convict someone of liability, where they have to pay a monetary award or something like that, monetary damages, mm -hmm. could be beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm sorry, it could be a preponderance of the evidence or okay. clear and convincing, which is a lower standard. Burden of, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is typically required for, for physical punishment, mm -hmm. and that's harder to prove, more costly. Um, the, the criminal would have a chance to make restitution, make amends, and be work his way back into society, so he wouldn't fight so hard the, the verdict and working. Um, so I think all around uh, restitution would, and, and I've, I've got some blog posts on this. Randy Burnett talks about it in his book. I can give you some links after the interview if you want to post them along with this. Yeah, okay. So I just pretend to be the, um, yeah, the statist. So what happens when this murderer will say, okay, I don't obey to what you've said in court. Like, I don't pay this yeah. fine. I don't go to jail. Like it's, you said, like, there will be yeah. probably not be any jails. But what would happen if we say, okay, I disagree? Well, libertarians, you know, there's disagreements among libertarians on this issue. Um, some, some believe that the entire system has to be totally voluntary and that if, if this criminal refuses to comply, um, then you can't force him to comply. And then your only option is ostracism and the whole community just stops dealing with the guy. And in a sense, that could be a bad enough punishment, almost akin to death, because you can't get a credit card, you can't rent an apartment anywhere, no one's gonna sell you groceries. And I do think there'd be widespread compliance with such boycotts or ostracism of these people. And honestly, I think that might be sufficient. Um, or they just have to go move away from society. They, they have no, no choice. Um, I, and, and now this is assuming that the guy doesn't already himself have a contract with some previous insurance company where he's already agreed to abide by their jurisdiction in the case of a dispute like this, mm -hmm. uh, in which case you could argue that he's consented already to being rounded up and forced to comply, or you, you take physically take some of his property, you seize his property. Um, 
other libertarians, including me, I, I think that you don't have to have a, an outlaw or a criminal have already agreed to or even currently agreed to the jurisdiction of the court. I think his act of aggression would count as consent in a sense. Mm -hmm. So when you, it's similar to the self-defense idea. When someone commits aggression against someone, it's legitimate for the victim to try to use force in self-defense. Mm -hmm. Now, did the criminal consent to that? Well, either he consented by his act of aggression or it's a substitute for consent. Mm -hmm. So in either case, I think the act of aggression justifies the use of force against someone, whether they agree or not. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about uh, an, an analog in today's world would be an uh, in international law where we have um, 200 countries and sometimes countries enter into um, agreements with each other or with large companies like in the, in, in the, uh, in the, uh, the oil nationalizations of the 1970s where mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and other countries seized the assets, and, as Cuba did after its revolution, seized the assets of American and Western companies that were, were there despite agreements, international agreements, saying they couldn't do this. Mm -hmm. So that meant the country is in breach of international law. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you enforce it? So you could theoretically invade the country. You could have your home country invade them, but let's, let's forget that. Even if you can't do that, practically or legally, there are other things you can do. For example, um, if Saudi Arabia uh, uh, violates an international uh, agreement and takes the property of a, an American company, the American company can invoke the arbitration clause, which says we can go to Switzerland, a neutral place, to arbitrate. And of course, Saudi Arabia is going to say, well, we're a sovereign country. You're just a company. We don't have, we can change our laws at any time and take your property. We're in control of our country. We're not going to be subject to the humiliation of going to Switzerland's courts, uh, even though they agreed to it earlier, right? Um, and so they might refuse to show up, and that, so then the, 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 the Exxon or whoever goes to court anyway. The arbitrator holds the court in absentia. They issue a judgment against Exxon, mm -hmm. let's say a billion dollars. Now, how do you collect it? So then courts around the world, governments around the world, largely respect that, and then they treat assets of, of Saudi Arabia that are outside the country as fair game. Mm -hmm. So you have these things called hot oil cases, mm -hmm. where you have an oil tanker that sort of, you know, Saudi Arabia is shipping oil out, and that goes into the port of the U.S., they seize it, and they mm. sell it, they give the money to the guy. So mm. there, are, there are tricks you can do to recover judgments in cases like that. That's what we've seen with Argentina with the fund uh, managers or with the American funds. They seize, I think, planes, uh, Argentine planes in the U.S. You, you heard about this I case? haven't heard about that, but I'm not surprised. Okay. Um, so what about uh, intellectual property? Well... Um, is your audience libertarian, anarchist? Yes, it's a libertarian. Well, then they probably are aware that um, my view is that the case against intellectual property is extremely clear-cut, and 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 uh, um, and I believe that that view is growing and fairly common among the more radical and Austrian and even leftist libertarians. Um, intellectual property has no place whatsoever in a private law society. Um, precisely because it's a way of undermining property rights. So I think uh, you would have the most, you know, the ultimate free market in a in a in a private law society in anarchy, uh, and uh, you would have private property rights respected as one of the you know the, the prime the prime values of society. Uh, anyone trying to enforce any kind of intellectual property right is essentially trying to go to court and say. 
you know, this competitor of mine is should not be able to use his own property as he sees fit, even though he's, you know, and the question would be, well, is he trespassing against you? Is he invading your property? And the and the, and then the complaint would be, nobody's stealing my business. And the answer would be, well, you don't own your business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's stealing money I could have made. You don't own that money. That's what that's for the owners of the money, the, the potential customers to decide. So you would have the ultimate in competition and emulation and free market competition, and uh, people would be free to copy, emulate, learn from others uh, to their heart's content. There would be no copyright or patent whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So um, just as an example, like there's a company who, who creates a car, it's like 10 years of time they spend to develop it, like to create it and uh, they come up with it and then just like within months, another company copy it, uh, they build all the same part, put the same sticker on it and sell it for half of the price. Right? Absolutely, and I think that would be beautiful. I don't think it would be that common to be honest. I think that most legitimate companies uh, that start up in competition with an innovator, they want to distinguish themselves. You know, the guy that started Wendy's Burger King chain or Burger King, they didn't want to call themselves McDonald's, even if they had been permitted to. I don't think they would have wanted to, because if you go to a knockoff McDonald's, you're going to be a little suspicious. Hey, but if there's a, a knockoff McDonald's somewhere, fine. But um, it's going to be cheaper, and, and the quality is not going to be as trustworthy. Most people want to put their own names on things. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with emulating a product someone else makes. You know, these Apple uh, AirPods I just got, which are amazing and fairly expensive and hard to get, uh, they just started coming out a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends called me, and uh, Jeff Tucker, and he called me, hey, I've got these uh, things that are in my ear, and they weren't AirPods. They were some cheap Chinese knockoff, mm. and they didn't work as good. They didn't sound right, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can get the uh, you can get the really the real thing, or you can get a knockoff. Mm. It's good. That's competition. That's the free market. That's the free market. So when people want to get more information on this topic, where can they look it up? Well, f- for my writing, I, I would say look at my website, stephankinsella.com, mm. and I have a publications page, and I have one very long article from about 20 years ago um, in the JLS on legislation and how lo- how law and, and law should be expected to, de- to develop in a private law society. So I have a long article on this and some talks to at previous in previous courses about this. Um, and for the IP stuff, intellectual property, I have a it's, it's on that site too, but it's on my c4sif.org site. But for this particular topic, I would recommend a few sources to read. Um, there's a handful, a smattering of sources on a pri- uh, on anarchy and how it should be, how we can expect it to work. And there's a handful of sources on uh, uh, the development of law. For the, for the latter. I would say Bruno Leone, his book Freedom and the Law is just amazing. Some of Hayek's stuff also is along those lines. And there's another... What of Hayek? Uh, probably Law, Legislation, and Liberty okay. is the closest. And then there's another Italian... Uh, Leone was Italian. There's another Italian legal theorist called Giovanni Sartori. Mm-hmm. And he has a book called, I think it's Law and Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, if anyone emails me, I, I have a link they can have, which is not public, that mm-hmm. will give them a great book of his. It's just brilliant on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and on anarchy, there's a few things that are like essential to see. Law, uh, the, the, the Market for Liberty by Linda and Morris Tannehill right, is the key work in this area. It's written in the 70s. It's a little dated by now, but it's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, David Friedman's um, The Machinery of Freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Rothbard had some stuff in, in For a New Liberty. And then also there's a chapter, I think it's chapter 16 of Randy Barnett's The Structure of Liberty. It's imagining a polycentric, he called it polycentric, imagining a polycentric legal order. Those are really good places to get some ideas. And also Hans Hermann Hoppe has a really good article on imagining this insurance, like how private insurance companies would operate in a free market order. And uh, a lot of those are collected in a really good bibliography that Hans Hoppe published a few years ago. It's on uh, Hans Hoppe. Just go to HansHoppe.com mm -hmm. and look, go on his publications page and look for um, the bibliography he wrote about anarchist uh, literature. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Okay, great. A lot of stuff to read. Okay, thank you very much, Stefan. Thank you for the interview. And see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.